Support for UPR's coverage of the Utah Legislature comes from AARP Utah, a nonpartisan social change organization with a membership helping people 50 and over improve their lives by providing materials, programs, and advocacy on key issues. Information is at aarp.org. Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams, broadcasting today from the state capitol. It's the first day of the 2014 Utah Legislature, and as we always do, we're here in the uh, Treasurer's Room, Conference Room. We're going to be talking with uh, Governor Herbert later in the program. Later in the program, House leaders will be talking with uh, the Majority Leader in the House, Representative Brad D., and uh, Assistant Minority Whip Rebecca Chavez-Hauk. And, uh, of course, on people's minds, air quality. We just had a rally on Saturday on uh, air pollution problems, um, gay marriage and uh, others, and the usual, the budget, education, and uh, jobs. Many other topics to be discussed. We're going to go right to the source, and we bring in first uh, the Senate leadership. We have with us uh, Senator Ralph Okerlund, who is the uh, Senate Majority Leader. Welcome to the program. Thanks. Good to have you. Good to be here. Thanks. Uh, you represent uh, central southern Utah. Yeah, 10 counties, actually, all the way from the Arizona border up to southern Utah County, a lot of the rural part of the state. So we'll be interested to get some perspective there. Uh, the yeah. uh, Senate Minority Leader, uh, Rep- uh, Senator Gene Davis, is with us. Good morning, Tom. Salt Lake City area? Salt Lake City area, kind of the heart of the valley, okay. Murray to, to uh, Westminster College. Let me start with you, uh, Senator Okerlund. Okay. Uh, before we jump into any specific topics, what are you hearing from constituents? What's, what's on people's minds? Well, I think uh, people are always uh, right now a lot more worried about national issues than they are state issues. When I talk to people, uh, to a lot of my constituents, they're worried about uh, what's happening happening with our federal government. Can they balance the budget? Can we continue to uh, have an economic uh, recovery from uh, the recession that we had? Uh, I hear a lot about public lands issues where I'm from uh, in the rural part of the state. Uh, uh, we have uh, extraction going on in a lot of the rural part of the state where we uh, are having issues with the federal government on whether or not we can access public lands. And, and so those things are important. And that ties into job creation. It ties into education. Uh, how much uh, money that we can uh, have available for the state for education is largely dependent on uh, whether or not we can access this large amount of public lands we have in the state. Uh, so uh, people are, are uh, interested in kind of the tie-in between the two. I don't hear as much in my district about clean air because uh, we don't have the issues that, that we do on the Wasatch Front. But the interesting part about that is I'm up here during the session when we have the inversions. And so I see that, and uh, and I'm certainly as interested as anyone else in making sure that we have clean air and, and working to do that. We'll certainly be talking about that on this program. By the way, tomorrow we'll have members of the Clean Air Caucus uh, with us, and we'll be talking to uh, various uh, other people as well on air quality specific program on that. Uh, Senator Davis, what are you hearing from your constituents? What's on their minds? Number one issue in uh, my district, and, and I hear from constituents, of course, is the clean air issue major, major uh, issue, how we can clean it up, recognizing the fact that we do have the inversion itself as a natural phenomenon, but uh, what's in that air, we need to start working on and we recognize that. And it's a health issue, also economic development issue. 
we're not going to be able to grow for a state if we just have dirty air to mm. breathe during certain periods of the year. My biggest concern right now is the fact that as I drove in today, the air is pretty clean. And I hope we don't lose our focus because the air is cleaned up now because it will be back and we will have that uh, the, the particulate matter in the air and, and retained in the air as we move forward. So we need to find a scientific uh, solution to that. I think one of the keys of that is to uh, change a law that we have, repeal a law that we have in place that says the, uh, that we will not pass any laws or rules more stringent than the federal government when it comes to environmental protection. And I think we need to start finding solutions for ourselves and not be hinged to the federal government that strongly. There's some 15 bills on this issue alone. Right. Uh, that one seems to be getting the most play, the, this, the, this, this rule that has been set up that Utah can't uh, surpass the EPA. Senator Okerlund, what do you, what do you think about that? Um, I, I think it's something that deserves a, a, a fair look and a fair discussion. Uh, I think the intent of that law was to make sure that we're not over-regulating uh, to the point that we are driving businesses away from the state. Uh, but now may be a better time for us to look at some things that we can do uh, here locally that, that may be a little bit different than federal regulations. Uh, I'm not sh so sure that we uh, shouldn't be doing that, uh, taking that look. Uh, you know, I think uh, it's very important for people to understand that the air has gotten cleaner uh, over the past couple of decades. The air is much cleaner than it was in the 70s uh, and much cleaner than it was in the 90s. Uh, so we continue to have uh, cleaner air, and, and but, but we understand that there are some things that we can do to uh, knowing that we're going to continue to have these inversions. Uh, that we can do to to uh, make a difference, and uh, and it may involve doing some things that are a little bit different than the federal standards that are out there. So uh, so we'll take a good look at that. Uh, we want to make sure that we're not going to do anything that overregulates. You know, the thing that's most important thing that we can do uh, for clean air right now, because ninety percent of the pollution that's out there right now is caused by cars and home and building emissions. And so each of us has a responsibility. Uh, I believe that each of us should be looking at our habits, whether or not we're driving three cars or two a day or, or whatever, and, uh, and looking at mass transit, how we can use that better. There are a lot of things that we can do, uh, knowing that each of us is really the biggest cause of pollution nowadays. Senator Davis, um, the rally on Saturday had an interesting title, Clean Air, No Excuses. I think probably accurately reflects the sentiment of many, at least those who were there. Um, what are your thoughts? What can be done? There, there's some impatience on this and some frustration. I think, I think the number one thing we have to realize is all of this pollution is caused by all of us. It's not a certain segment of the population that's creating it. It's uh, growth is really what it is. And we want to embrace growth because that's our future. I mean, when you figure that here in Salt Lake County, for an example, that one third of the population lives right here in this, in one county. And so we need to address those issues. Uh, industry, as well as uh, individuals, we need to look at the entire problem and we need to start solving it. And nobody, and, and we need to make sure that we don't exempt anyone from whatever we do. We're going to be talking much more about air quality throughout this hour and then uh, tomorrow as well. I want to move on to education. Senator Davis, you, I was reading in the uh, Tribune, I think it was, you, you have an interesting proposal 
um, in, in terms of um, putting the putting the weight where the, the the lifting the burden, if you have a large family, removing some of those uh, tax credits, that's yes. probably going to be a bit controversial for at least for large families. That will be, and uh, that has always been something that, uh, as we look at our uh, tax structure in the state of Utah, is the fact that uh, we commit all of our income tax, state income tax, to public education. And yet we allow those large families to be exempted from paying any tax. So they're the users of the system. And... Uh, we need to take a look at that. We have a flat tax in the state of Utah where a flat tax is really fair and equal is when everybody's facing the same tax burden. When you give certain groups uh, of individuals a opportunity to have an exemption, then you've taken the flat tax and you've really tilted it in a way that's not fair to all. Mm. And I think Senator Jones is carrying that bill and it. it's a very good bill. I, I think it needs to be looked at, reviewed, and hopefully we can get it through. Senator Oakland, uh, on this specific point, then we'll go broader generally on education. What, what do you think of this proposal? I, I think it, it deserves a fair shot. Uh, again, it's one of those that we need to have some good debate on. Uh, of course, the, uh, the other side of the issue is that those people who are young usually are uh, the, more, the most difficult budgets to, to meet uh, for young families with lots of kids. Uh, and that's probably why the exemption was put on in the first place, was to allow them to be able to, uh, with lower salaries than, than some, some of the other folks uh, that are out there that may be through raising children. Uh, so it, it deserves a fair debate. I, I'm certainly willing to take a look at it. I'm interested in Senator Jones's bill. I think it has uh, some merit, and, uh, and I'm frankly very interested in looking at that one. Senator Okerlund, what do you, uh, what do you think of the governor's proposed budget as it uh, relates to education. He's proposing a, an increase, a fairly substantial increase. Yeah, you know, we did well for education last year. In last year's session, we were able to uh, increase the WPU for the first time in a number of years, and, and uh, the governor's budget uh, reflects another good increase for public education. We know that that's our biggest responsibility, and the biggest job that we have as a legislature is to make sure that we're training and educating our young people so that they can uh, create better jobs, a better economy in the state. We, we certainly understand that. And uh, I believe the governor's uh, budget puts that emphasis where it should be. Uh, I'm not sure that the numbers uh, are, are exactly correct as he has proposed them. We're going to probably make a few changes, uh, although we, we will, I believe, have a strong emphasis to public education again. Uh, I, I think uh, one of the things that we found during the recession was that we had a pretty large uh, rainy day fund about $450 million. It helped us get through some very difficult times. And uh, with the federal government uh, looking at sequestration and all of the issues that they've got out there right now, we don't know where we're going to be. There's a lot of uncertainty as to where the federal government and, and uh, revenue from the federal government is going to be. I think we will try to take a look at trying to replace our, uh, our rainy day fund. We're still way short of where we were before the recession. Uh, there are a number of pro other programs that uh, I think are worthy of us to take a look at. They're a little bit different than what the governor has suggested, but uh, I think uh, from a from a philosophical standpoint, I think we're we're all pretty much on the same page. We are uh, talking with Senator Ralph Okerlund, who is the Senate Majority Leader, and uh, Senator Jim Davis, the Minority Leader in the Senate. 
opening our uh, usual program from the state capitol. We're in the uh, Treasurer's Conference Room uh, in the Capitol Building. And uh, later on, we'll have Governor Herbert, and we'll have Representative Brad D. and Representative uh, Rebecca Chavez-Hauk from uh, Republican and Democratic leadership in the House, respectively. You are welcome to join this conversation. The best way to do that today is by email. Here is the address, upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. You'll have uh, real-time access to key legislators, upraxcess at gmail.com. Uh, Senator Davis, the governor's budget, especially as it relates to education, sufficient in your mind? Would you like to see I th- tweets? I, I think uh, it is not sufficient. Uh, when we take a look, there's, there's a lot of new dollar that's going there, but we're still not funding the growth in education, and that should be our number one issue. It uh, concerns me when I, I, I took a look at the, the fiscal analysts uh, offering that we ask the question, where are we at in education as far as funding per student? And state dollars, from 19, in real dollars, from 1997 to what's being proposed this year is only an increase per student in the state of Utah of just over $30. So we're way, way behind the curve in where we should be in making sure that uh, children are uh, getting the tools that they need and uh, teachers are getting the tools that they need to teach. Where to get the money then? You know, that's the thing we've got to look at. And I think uh, like any business, when things get really tough, they have to go out and borrow or reinvest. And I think we're at a point in public education and higher education that we need to reinvest. And that may mean a tax raise. It could mean that. It could mean passing Senator Jones' bill, which raises more money also. Senator Okerlund, um, Medicaid expansion. The Supreme Court uh, took that out of the Affordable Care Act, left it up to the states. The governor's on record as taking off the table one of the options, which is to do nothing. He's in favor of some sort of uh, Medicaid expansion. What uh, What do you say? It's going to be. I, I think this is going to be something that's going to be one of the more interesting conversations during this session. Uh, I think it would be great if the governor. Uh, made a recommendation, came out with something that he's got in mind that he would like to see us do, or the legislature come up with a recommendation uh, that may be a kind of a hybrid. Uh, I don't know if we're going to uh, uh, go to full Medicaid expansion, although you look at the states that have, and uh, when you pump uh, a couple of billion dollars into an economy like California where they have accepted Medicaid expansion completely, it it does uh, drive the economy. And so... Uh, there are a lot of issues that we need to take a look at out there, uh, whether or not we go to full expansion or, or something a little bit short of that. Uh, I, I'm waiting for uh, someone to make uh, uh, maybe a good recommendation that we can all take a look at. Uh, I, I believe that will happen during this legislative session because while we're all together, is the best time to have that discussion. And uh, the governor's statement last week that, uh, that uh, he was – he was not going to stand with the status quo, I think, as a start in that direction. And uh, we need to work together. We are working closely on numbers to see what we can afford. You know, it's really what it comes down to is uh, uh, three or four years from now when some of the subs- subsidies may disappear or start to disappear and we get back to the 70-30 match, how much can we really afford and what's it going to cost our state? And we need to take a close look at that. I believe we'll, uh, we'll have a great discussion this year in the session about that. 
Senator Davis, your views on Medicaid expansion. I believe we need full expansion in the state of Utah. The Affordable Care Act is the law of the land. And for us as a state, not to include everybody just because of uh, income. And there's a way of making sure that everyone has access to quality, affordable health care. And that's a very, very important thing to our economic viability, to make sure that families are able to provide for their children with health care, affordable health care, where they've been shut out before. Almost 14% of our population at one time was uninsured. And uh, we also, at the same time as we take a look at the Affordable Care Act coming into place, the one thing that is happening is that we're seeing uh, the uh, inflation rate of uh, medical costs uh, flattening out. And that's a good thing because that's a savings. We can't go on as we were five years ago trying to make this happen. Medicaid expansion right now, if we were to expand today, that expansion uh, wouldn't cost the state uh, any dollars in the Medicaid fund. And after that, it's a 10%, 90-10, we'd have to match 10% uh, into the future. And uh, as I take a look at Medicaid as it stands now, and we're at a 70-30, we've been at a 25-75, and uh, there's a formula there uh, that takes into account the economy and the wealth of the state. And uh, that formula has never been changed. I mean, it's it's something that's in place. It's been in law since the late 60s when Medicaid came into effect. So we need to make sure that uh, we do that expansion. We know from the governor's uh, study on it that it's really an economic boon to the state of Utah. Senator Okerlund, I'm curious, especially given the district you represent, which is largely rural, yeah. uh, last year, year before, there were there was an expression of unrest with uh, as many of I'm sure of your constituents sought uh, the heavy hand of the federal government and some pretty feisty bills uh, came out which were controversial because to defend them to you know took some money so-called message bills do you see what what are you hearing from your constituents on those issues well I, I think we're going to continue to see uh, that kind of unrest and uh, as long as th- there is a federal government that uh, is running uh, the country uh, by decree, by by administrative decree, rather than uh, through the Congress, uh, I think you're going to continue to hear some of that kind of unrest. One thing that's happening that's really interesting, uh, and there are a number of them that are going on right now, and I talked about the uncertainty with the federal government and what they're going to be doing out there. Uh, the federal government has always paid or, or uh, recently paid for the last uh, several decades p- payment in lieu of taxes on federal lands. Right now, they're not going to pay uh, even their full allotment of PILT, uh, which, is, which is a drop in the bucket of what they should be paying for, uh, for taxes on federal land. And, and that affects what we can spend on education and, and uh, in this case, in the case of PILT, uh, the money that counties have available to run their programs. Uh, so I, I'm going to be running a resolution, uh, concurrent resolution this year, that calls on the federal government to pay their fair share, mm. pay 100% of PILT costs on federal lands like they have done and, and like they should do. And, and this uncertainty with the federal government goes to everything that we're dealing with them on, including the Affordable Care Act. Not knowing where they're going to be uh, three or four years from now, it's just like PILT. 
they decide all of a sudden they're not going to pay their fair share of taxes. And, uh, and Congress has nothing to do with that. It's just coming down from the federal government and their budget. So I think it's important that we do take a position and, and take a stand on those kinds of issues and say, look, federal government, here you are holding all these lands. You ought to at least be making your pill payments. So you're going to continue to see those kinds of messages, and, uh, and I think that's important to my district and, and for the entire state. Senator Davis, I'm guessing there might be a different view among your constituents yes. and more urban constituency. What, uh, what, are, what views are you hearing on this issue? I, I think the pelt payment is, is a very important thing that has gone on, and it, it helps balance our budget. It helps uh, with our education of our children. However, uh, what we have to do is make sure that we look at our congressional delegation here and make sure that they are part of the solution. We need to make sure that we're electing problem solvers and not people that go back and hold a strong ideological line that does not address the issues that we need addressed. When we take a look at the PILT, or the PELT uh, payment, the one thing that happened in, in, in that uh, piece of legislation, that was a budgetary decision in cutting back and funding that came to the states, federal lands issues, and something had to give. And we saw that we cannot afford to close down our national parks in the state of Utah. We need to keep those open. So do you cut back on the parks? Do you cut back on PILT? I mean, there's decisions that administrations have to make, given the fine amount of money that is being given by Congress to, uh, their, uh, to the president to be able to uh, expend. We will leave it there with the uh, the Senate. Um, uh, later in the program, we'll be talking with leadership in the House, Representative Brad D. and Representative Rebecca Chavez-Hauk. And uh, Governor Herbert is up next following a brief break. Senator Ralph Okerlund and uh, Senator Gene Davis, thank you so much. Thanks. Thank you. After a brief break, more from the opening day of the 2014 legislature. We're at the state capitol. Governor Gary Herbert is up next following this break. This is Lloyd Berenson, director of the Bear River Health Department. How do you know if it's safe to go outside when PM2 levels are elevated? The cause of our unhealthy air is particulate pollution that is 2.5 micrograms or smaller. Often you'll hear this called PM2.5. While it's still okay for most people to go outside on these days, everyone is different and health decisions should be made on actual pollution levels and individual sensitivity. For those who are more vulnerable to air pollution, such as children, those with asthma, heart or lung conditions, or the elderly, care should be taken to stay indoors. Reducing outside activity when pollution reaches high levels will reduce short-term health effects. The Bear River Health Department provided this content in response to Utah Public Radio listener questions about air pollution and health for our community engagement reporting project. To join our public insight network and have a say in what we report, go to upr.org and click on Become a Source. Support for UPR's coverage of the Utah Legislature comes from AARP Utah, a nonpartisan social change organization with a membership helping people 50 and over improve their lives by providing materials, programs, and advocacy on key issues. Information is at aarp.org. 
It's Access U time, Tom Williams, and as is our tradition on the opening day of the legislature, we are at the state capitol in Salt Lake City. We're in the uh, Treasurer's Conference Room, and uh, we did uh, talk with the Senate leadership. Uh, coming up is House leadership, Representative Brad D. and Representative Rebecca Chavez-Hauk. Right now, we're pleased to bring in uh, Utah Governor Gary Herbert. Welcome back to the program. Good morning to you, Tom, and welcome back to the capitol. Well, it's, it's always great to be here. <laughs> we're always honored to have you. Uh, let me jump in with uh, what's on a lot of people's minds. I know you've, you've uh, uh, outlined a plan to reduce air pollution. Um, I'm not sure what uh, if you were invited to the rally on Saturday. There was a song addressed to you. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if you knew that. Uh, I did know that, and I wasn't invited. Oh, no, you weren't invited. Enough, I was not invited. But I certainly am aware of what took place and certainly uh, join with the concern that many people have about the quality of our air and uh, we are doing something about it we have done something about it and we're continuing to do even more going forward so with that as a topic uh, you know I, I think everybody has a role to play and uh, certainly we've done what we can do sir, uh, here with uh, the executive branch for example uh, you we you're not allowed to idle your automobiles we've taken that as an executive order to our staff and people here on the hill and uh, the 19,000 employees we have. We also have provided now UTA passes for our uh, uh, 19,000 workers up here. I'm sure that some will use it and some will not, but we've been able to arrange that with UTA at no cost to the taxpayers, by the way. So we're going to try to get people to actually practice what we preach, and that is that we ought to have mass transit and and 60% of our pollution that we see in the gunk in the air during the inversions is out of our tailpipes. Uh, we also, though, have put in 23 new rules and regulations. We've reduced uh, 100 tons per day that comes out of our industry so, uh, sources so that we'll, we will be compliant with the federal regulations. We're also requiring an additional use of uh, new uh, technology. It's going to cost industry hundreds of millions of dollars, and we'll reduce another 4,500 tons a year in pollution. So we're on the right road going in the right direction. Uh, we have more to do, and it's going to take all of us. I'll have some suggestions as far as what we can do more on in my State of the State address here this Wednesday night at 6.30. So I don't want to scoop myself here, Tom, okay. but there's oh, going right. to be a couple of suggestions that we're going to make that have come out of my uh, Clean Air Action Team, and that's uh, uh, CAAT, the acronym Clean Air Action Team. And by the way, it's designed for anybody who has any concerns, to wants to make suggestions. We get them all the time. Some of them are, are good suggestions. Some are just way unrealistic. But there's a place where you can actually call and, and make suggestions and be a part of the solution, and it, your issues will be uh, vetted and discussed and considered. And you can go to airquality at envisionutah.org, airquality at envisionutah.org, and uh, deal with it online. You can come to the meetings. They, they meet on a monthly basis. I think it's going to give us a great opportunity to have a good, robust, vigorous discussion on what can we do more going forward to clean up the air. By the way, we'll have uh, the State of the State address, Governor Herbert's address, 630 on Wednesday right here on Utah Public Radio, along with the Democratic response. Preceding that, uh, tomorrow evening, 7 o'clock, uh, President Obama's uh, State of the Union. Right now we have uh, Governor Gary Herbert. You're welcome to respond to this program by email. It's the best way today. We're coming to you live from the state capitol, opening day of the legislature, upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. Your questions or comment right now for the for the governor. 
where do you, we don't want you to scoop yourself on specifics, Governor, but where, where do you weight it? Is this more an EPA, a federal government? Is that where they have more effectiveness here? State government, local government, uh, private lifestyle issues? It's everybody. It? It, it's everybody. And again, there's good news out there, the reason to be optimistic. Uh, I listened to Arden Pope here. Uh, it was quoted in the, in the media here over the weekend as part of the rally. And he said, you know, we've we've cleaned up since uh, uh, the last uh, eight or nine years, 46 percent of the pollution. It's cleaner today than it was uh, in 2005. It's, is it clean enough? I guess the answer is no, because we still have these exceedances that take place that uh, go above the federal standards on, a, on average about 20 to 22 days of the year. That's 20 to 22 days too many. And so we still have work to do. The good news is we've, we're, we're making it cleaner. The bad news is it's not clean enough yet. So I'm optimistic that we'll find a solution to the problem. And we, in fact, are finding the solution. And uh, but people, you know, uh, for health reasons are upset. Uh, certainly, uh, I recognize that it's, it hurts us on our economic recruiting. So for a lot of reasons, we just need to get a handle on it. But it, it's tailpipes, it's wood burning uh, stoves and, and fireplaces. We're finding has a much bigger part. Industry right now is only about 11 percent, uh, and uh, that shows how much effort we've made on industry. And there's still more for industry to do. But it's going to be an all-of-the-above approach if we're going to really solve the problem. I heard just this morning, uh, Stericycle, one business, is thinking about relocating. Is, is it going to take some of that? And, and, and does that harm economic development? Well, Stericycle, which is a unique uh, uh, you know, business that uh, takes medical waste and, uh, and burns it, incinerates it, um, at least what I understand is they're going to be looking at a spot out on the West Desert, out uh, about 20 miles west of Grantsville is a location that's sparsely populated in a more remote area. And uh, that's certainly a better location than where they are in Davis County. So some would like to put them out of business altogether. That's probably not, again, realistic. But having them find a better location is something that probably is the proverbial win-win, at least as close as we can get to it as possible. Uh, they have rights and they, they have permits. So I'm, I'm optimistic about that move. I think that's going to be good for Davis County and that location where they're currently sited. And, and I think they'll be out in a remote location, which will serve them well uh, for years to come. Final question on air quality. I want to move on to some other things in your budget. Um, there are several bills, some 15 bills right now being run on this, this uh, subject. The one that's getting the most publicity is uh, a bill that would reverse uh, the rule that the state cannot exceed EPA rules. What do you think about that? I support that change. Uh, I'm not, uh, have ever been a one-size-fits-all guy. I think that's the mentality of Washington, D.C. Uh, we see that on so, on so many different issues and subjects, and that doesn't work very well because we're all, as states, very different demographically. Our locations are different. We have just unique uh, situations that require more flexibility. And so I think that the, we need to have flexibility here in the state to address our own issues if that requires more uh, stringent uh, regulations and what the federal regulations are, then so be it. But we ought to have our legislature to be empowered to make those decisions in the best interest of the people I represent here in Utah. I'll just give you one example of where it's just kind of contrary. It's, this all comes out of the Clean Air Act, which was uh, developed in 1990. So it's a long time. It's old. 
and there's no appetite. I've been to Washington asking about modifications of the Clean Air Act, and nobody wants to open that up. They think that's just opening up a can of worms. But under the Clean Air Act right now, in the Unit Basin, for example, we have an industry that would like to put on best available technology, improve uh, their processes, and eliminate pollution. But they get no credit for doing it. And they only get credit for doing it after we've exceeded and become a non-attainment area. So there's a perverse incentive to have the air get dirtier before it gets cleaner. Well, that's silly. And uh, we've been working with the EPA trying to say, look, you've got to give these businesses credit in advance of non-attainment. We can clean up the air. We don't have to get to non-attainment uh, with a little bit of common sense here. But that's part of the rules that they have in the, on the books now, which get in the way of actually an appropriate outcome. We need more flexibility. If you just joined us, we're talking with Governor Gary Herbert. Uh, and it's the opening day of the uh, 2014 legislature. As we always do, we're at the state capitol, and we're uh, giving you access directly to your state officials. Your um, comments and questions for uh, the governor by uh, email to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at uh, gmail.com. And uh, we do have this uh, email from Charles in the Logan area. He says, my understanding of a conservative is a, con is a conservative is a person who is cost conscious. Is there any chance our Utah public officials will, will ever become cost conscious with regard to our greenhouse gas emissions? Well, I don't know what he means with cost conscious with the greenhouse gases necessarily, but I think everything should be measured to a cost to benefit ratio. Uh, we have people that uh, probably think there, there is no cost too high to uh, support green energy. Uh, but you need to be practical. For example, you know, solar power, which is everybody's hope that someday that could come to fruition as a legitimate energy source that doesn't cost so much that there is a cost-to-benefit ratio. And maybe technology will be developed down the road. Uh, you know, the marketplace is a wonderful thing. The incentive out there is you can become rich and famous if you build a better mousetrap. If you find a better way to produce energy, whether that be solar, wind, uh, you know, uh, algae formation, uh, you know, there's all those opportunities out there for somebody to come up with a better program. Clearly, what we're doing right now is the best available out there in the marketplace, and that's mostly hydrocarbons. Uh, right now, most all experts on all sides of the issue believe that the baseline for energy production over the next generation is going to come either from carbon-based fuels, which means coal, natural gas, or oil, or nuclear power. And uh, there really is no ability, if you look at the pie chart of what's being produced out there with uh, solar and wind and other green energy, you find it's just a, a kind of a double-thick line. There's not really much. It's only a, a couple of percent of the overall pie. So... Again, cost to benefit ought to be factored into everything. I'm a level playing field guy. Let everybody compete in the marketplace, and we'll see what the consumer will purchase. Let me just conclude by saying that I believe what the customer wants out there, what the people are looking for, is sustainable energy. They don't like brownouts. We've seen that in California. They don't want blackouts. They want to have sustainable energy. They want to have it cleaner, and they want to have it affordable. So cleaner and affordability sometimes are at odds with each other. But we're finding ways to have cleaner energy, new technologies, even with carbon-based fuels. Natural gas has been a transition fuel for us. A lot more natural gas, a lot less coal being burned out there now. And who knows what the future will bring. 
But I believe uh, the demands of the public will be found and sought for by the marketplace, and it's uh, cleaner, more affordable, and sustainable. Governor Gary Herbert is with us. We're uh, broadcasting from the state capitol today, opening day of the legislature. Governor Herbert with us for another three or four minutes. If you'd like to uh, give him a question or comment, the way to do that is our email address, upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com. Later on the program, uh, leadership in the House. Governor, I notice uh, you're calling for an increase in uh, per-pupil spending. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us a little bit about your education plan and your budget. Well, education has always been my number one budget priority. Uh, my focus has been, I came into the, the office at the height of the Great Recession. Our unemployment rate was 8.3%, and so the focus was on how can we grow the economy here in Utah, in spite of what's going on around us in other states, and particularly in spite of what's going on around us in Washington, D.C. And I kind of took the phrase of uh, President Bill Clinton, where he said when he ran for the presidency, it's the economy, stupid. And uh, I do believe that. If we get the economy right, everything else kind of falls into place. So the good news is that we've reduced that. Uh, Last Friday, the latest numbers came out. Our unemployment rate now is 4.1%, the fourth lowest in the nation, and dropping. That's healthy, good news for us when it comes to our economic development. But I also understand we cannot have long-term sustained economic growth if we don't have a skilled labor force. That's education. And so we're putting more resources into education than ever before. Uh, Record numbers of dollars, by the way. Uh, We're at about over $5 billion that we're putting into education in the state. Uh, We're putting more emphasis on STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math, because that's what the marketplace demands. We're emphasizing reading proficiency by the end of third grade, math proficiency fourth, sixth, and eighth grade, uh, so we can be more aligned with the demands of the marketplace. We had an increase in the WPU because we need to honor our teachers. That really goes to teacher salaries, and we've had the lar- in my budget proposal, which I hope the legislature adopts, we'll have the largest increase in teacher compensation in five years. Mm-hmm. So that's good news for teachers. It's good news for education. Uh, the vast bulk of all the new money that comes with our growing economy is now all being put into education. And I think we'll find that the legislature will agree with my assessment. That's where the bulk of the money needs to go. Finally, Governor, you announced recently that you're taking one of the proposed options on Medicaid expansion off the table, and that is doing nothing. Is there a specific uh, plan that you'll be supporting? You know, we need to work with the legislature. There's a law that's been passed that says that we do this in conjunction with each other, the executive branch and the legislative branch. Uh, I think that's the right way to do it, and uh, I think uh, we both have roles to play. They certainly have the power of the purse strings, and we want to make sure that what we do is right for Utah and for Utah's citizens and taxpayers, not only today but tomorrow. Uh, but doing nothing is not a good option. Uh, we, I've studied this very uh, significantly over the last few months. I've had task forces do some recommendations, look at alternatives, and uh, we have a, about 60,000 people that are kind of caught in a gap, in a flaw that's in the Affordable Care Act. And uh, they actually are people below poverty that will get less access to health care than people that have more money above poverty, which is silly. That doesn't make any sense at all. And so there are some options out there I think we can uh, look at to solve that problem. I'll work with the legislature to see what we think a good Utah solution to this Utah problem is. And I'm confident we'll have an answer by the end of the 45-day session that will be the proverbial again win-win.
I know Governor Herbert has to get going. Uh, appreciate it very much, your time. Thank you, Tom. It's great to be with you. Uh, I'll let me just conclude by saying I've never been more optimistic about Utah's future. We are doing things wonderfully well, certainly in comparison to other states. We're being recognized by uh, outside of our borders by publications. Even the vice president, when I was in Washington here a week and a half ago, came up to me and said, boy, Utah is doing so well. We're just so impressed with what we see in Utah. It was nice to hear a Democrat vice president that uh, acknowledges the successes we're having in Utah. So it gives me hope. Uh, again, I'm very optimistic that we're on the right road, going in the right direction. And again, tune in uh, Wednesday night at uh, 6.30 for the governor's uh, State of the State address. That'll be right here on Utah Public Radio. Thanks, Governor. Thank you very much, Tom. Governor Gary Herbert has joined us. Uh, we are broadcasting from the state capitol in Salt Lake City on the opening day of the legislature 2014. Coming up following a break, we will have uh, leaders from the House, Representative Brad D., Majority Leader and Representative uh, Rebecca Chavez-Hauk, who is Assistant Minority Whip. That follows a break. The Be Well Moment is made possible by the USU Department of Human Resources Wellness Program at usu.edu hr. Stress is what you feel when you have to handle more than you are used to. When you are stressed, your body responds as though you are in danger. It makes hormones that speed up your heart, make you breathe faster, and give you a burst of energy. This is called the fight or flight stress response. Stress is normal, but if it happens too often or lasts too long, it can have bad effects. It can be linked to headaches, upset stomach, back pain, and trouble sleeping. It can weaken your immune system, making it harder to fight off disease. You probably can't delete all stress from your life, but you can get better at managing your stress. Start a stress journal, ask for help when you need it, do some deep breathing exercises, and get some exercise. Find something that works for you and enjoy this life you've been given. This is Angela Helm for the Be Well program at Utah State University. Be well, Utah. Welcome to Access Utah, or uh, thanks for coming back for the final segment of the program. I'm Tom Williams, and uh, you, we are coming to you from the state capitol. This is our uh, annual tradition, the opening day of the legislature. Always a lot of excitement, and it's in the context of several issues that are swirling around, including air quality, uh, also same-sex marriage, and a few other issues. And uh, there was a big rally uh, on air quality on Saturday. We'll be having an entire program on that tomorrow with uh, members of the uh, Clean Air Caucus, which is a new development at the uh, Utah Legislature. We have been talking with Senate leadership and with Governor Gary Herbert, and uh, we welcome in now uh, Representative Rebecca Chavez-Hauk, representing uh, District 24. She's the Assistant uh, Minority Whip. Welcome to the program. Thanks, Tom. Welcome. Thank you. Appreciate you coming on the program. We welcome back to the program uh, Representative uh, Brad D representing uh, District 11 in uh, Weber County, I believe, Representative. That's correct. And Representative D is the House uh, Majority Leader. Thanks for joining the program. Thank you so much. Um, let me jump right into an email we uh, received on the air quality issue, and then I'll ask you a sort of a general question on, on what you're hearing from constituents and what's on your priority list. Have each of you uh, respond to this. This is from Janice. Uh, believe in the Logan area. By the way, you're welcome to uh, respond to the program with your question or comment. Uh, the best way to do that today is by email, upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. This is what Janice says. I'm a citizen of Logan. I'm uh, very concerned about air quality and the lack of responsibility placed on the energy industry 
Formerly, I lived in California, resided there till 1978 when we moved to Utah. We saw the air quality in Los Angeles basis that uh, has, uh, or basin maybe, that has a similar geography as Cache Valley. When the air was uh, cleaned, it was largely due to restricting the sulfur content of coal. Governor Reagan made strong restrictions to the coal being used by power companies. Unfortunately, Governor uh, Jay Brown uh, changed the restrictions when he was elected governor and the air became worse again. His father, uh, Pat Brown, owned large coal interests. Uh, why does no one look into the sulfur content of coal being used at our power plants? This would have an immense effect on our air. We need electricity, but we need to clean it up. Someone also mentioned large families and tax break they receive. We'll get to that uh, issue a little later in the program. Uh, first with uh, Representative Chavez-Hauk, what, uh, what do you think about Janice's comments? Well, I think some things that we've had happen over the past few years if we've asked our um, our coal-fired plants and some of the industries to take a look at being more efficient. And I think that they've also seen that it's prudent in terms of efficiencies you know, that they find in terms of cost savings to be to bring in um, newer types of, of production um, elements, the way that they, they produce uh, power. Uh, I know that I had the opportunity to visit a, a couple of the plants down in central Utah a couple of years ago, and they were showing some of the improvements that they have made. Now, notably, it's an investment, and, and, and it can in the long term provide an opportunity for them to reap savings for those efficiencies, but it, in it being an investment, it's also costly. Um, and I know that there has been some conversations that we've had, um, that I've had with constituents about maybe ways to continue to incentivize opportunities for coal fire plants and other um, power plants to bring themselves up to speed to provide best available technologies to be more efficient and more clean burning. And I think that's a start. I know that for some people that may not be enough, but it is definitely a start. And I know that the industry itself often tries to look for ways to, to find those improvements. Um, but I also think that what we're seeing in terms of the the SIP plan, the, the implementation plan that was just recently approved, um, that there are also requirements that the federal government has put put in place that we're going to have to meet. And um, and, it, and it's a, one of those situations of shared sacrifice. Everybody's just going to have to, and including the industries, are going to have to move forward and make those improvements. Representative D, uh, first specifically to, the, to Janice's point, uh, cleaning up the air by putting first uh, these concerns about sulfur content of coal, and then your reaction generally to how do we how do we clean up the air? Well, a couple of things. Um, I appreciate her comments because indeed, when we have the inversion layer and we have whether it's NOx air or PM 2.5, uh, it's something that concerns us all. The geographics of Utah. And it's interesting that she replies from Cache County because it's a little bit different than what we have along the Wasatch Front or even in the basin in some of these particular areas and what causes those particular inversions, what causes the air and the, and the pollution we have. There is a major effort, and as mentioned by my colleague, it's across uh, Utah, in fact, across the West for major companies, especially coal burning, uh, most of it is the clean coal that we're doing now. We've rid ourselves of most of those uh, coal-burning companies that are providing the, the major pollution. Many are trying to evolve into uh, natural fuels, like natural gas. We have one of the largest, if not the largest, deposit of natural gas throughout the world in not only um, Utah, but in Wyoming and western United States. We anticipate that most of our electricity within the next decade or so will be produced by natural gas. So we're doing a lot in, the, in trying to remedy the situation as it exists today. But as we look at the, the generators, and I know we like to, 
80% of my emails are centered on industry, where along the Wasatch Front, for example, 60% uh, of the pollution is caused by transportation and cars. So it, it's important that we look at the area first and what's causing, how we can address those particular areas, and, and the remedies for the Wasatch Front may be different than the Basin or for Cache Valley. What we've done as a legislature this year is we have a bipartisan group that has come together, the Clean Air Caucus, both Democrat and Republican. We've decided that this issue is not a partisan issue, it's a Utah issue. And we will be working on several bills this year to help address those particular areas, and not only in Cache Valley, but across the Wasatch Front. So we hope to make some major progress this year. Uh, I'll go to you first, uh, Representative D, and then Representative Chavez. How any of those bills you'd like to, to mention? The, the one that's getting the biggest play is a bill that would reverse a rule that uh, the state can't get out ahead of uh, EPA in, in the strictness of, of rules. Well, and we appreciate the, the federal government putting guidelines on us, but uh, in Utah we've, we've talked about the fact that we ought to govern ourselves and we ought to put our own guidelines on. And in particular areas of Utah, maybe we need, we need more strict guidelines than the clean air might, uh, the EPA might provide to us. If that's the case, then we ought to be looking at that and the ability and the ability to do that. If we have some things that we'd like to do with transportation, we'd like the ability to do those things in Utah, especially during inversion uh, months in those areas that uh, that we need those particular programs. So I think that will find some traction. There's several others that I think uh, will really make a difference. Uh, one in particular that I think that people don't realize is we're trying to address um, wood burning. For example, now in in Salt Lake County and wood burning, that's a very a major issue, and it's somewhat of a low hanging fruit. We can get to that very very quickly, and it really contributes a major part of our pollution in this particular valley. So we ought to center on those things which we can get to quickly that provide the best impact and clean the air the most, and then we ought to work on a long range solutions for those others that we know that we can handle, and we will. Mm -hmm. Representative Chavez, how can any of those bills, there's some 15 or so, that list will probably grow? Yeah, it's it's amazing. I, I think that that's been an incredible interim period that we've had where we've had these conversations. We've educated ourselves about the impacts of air quality, things that we can be doing, uh, how to address the different sectors and how what their disproportionate impact might be on on impact on, on emissions. And I, I'd have to say working on the Tier 3 standards, which is to allow uh, Tier 3 cars to be available in Utah sooner rather than later and then also work with refineries to see if we could get the fuels that those cars would need to run, those vehicles would need to run more efficiently. Um, there's this amazing map that I'm hoping will be distributed widely during the session that shows is if we imp implemented those tier three standards ahead of where EPA would require them, um, our state would be most directly impacted out of any place else in the country. It's where you would see the greatest improvement in emissions and air quality. So that's probably one of the things that uh, the caucus and and I know that our team is really pushing for the wood burning, as Representative D has mentioned, is also something that I think we can target. I know that Representative uh, Handy is working on some legislation to see if we can convert more of our school buses to more efficient, cleaner fuels. And then, as you mentioned, Representative Edwards, on the EPA standards, where we, as the state, could implement standards that are more rigorous than the EPA. I ran the legislation last year. It was a starter, a dialogue starter, and some people were a little um, not as, as as willing to move forward with it, but I think over the few months they've understood that this is one of those opportunities where we could implement a Utah solution and make it directly targeted to the needs of our constituency and our, as has been mentioned, our geographic and, um, and weather needs, climate needs.
I know uh, we need to, to get you to the uh, session starting mm -hmm. uh, shortly. Very briefly, starting with uh, Representative D, uh, priorities, your, your top two or three bullet points. Well, I think we've discussed one. Uh, obviously, that's going to be a major concern with us. Uh, we're, education is always a major um, issue with us, and we're going to be tried, trying to uh, not only meet the needs of growth in our education program, but also provide perhaps a greater opportunity in education for our students this year and perhaps look at some benchmarking and some ways of getting technology better into the classrooms, more on a more, more substantial level, um, give those uh, students an opportunity to compete at the global level with that type of technology. Um, I think we've got the Medicaid expansion, what we're doing with Medicaid. There's a particular segment of our population that are not insured by ACA. Um, and we can go into the reasons for that, but I think it's more importantly they're, they live in Utah. And we ought to handle those situations. We're going to try to find a way to address that particular population in the Medicaid expansion. And the governor and, uh, and both parties are working very hard on that particular issue. And uh, then you'll see a lot of different issues coming up uh, um, over the next 45 days. Yes, it's a sprint, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Representative Chavez-Hauk. Uh, I would echo the two that uh, Representative Dean mentioned, most notably education, and I think we're heartened by the fact that this year we see some um, a broadening appetite for looking at pre-K um, because studies have shown over time and time again that if we make the greatest investment in pre-K, that's where you see the greatest outcome in later years and a lot of the things that we're trying to achieve in terms of post-secondary success will be achieved in the long run if we make those investments in pre-K early on. So I'm happy to see that um, actually sponsorship from the other side of the aisle is moving forward with some really innovative pre-K um, legislation. Oh, uh, the Medicaid expansion, obviously I could go on for a long, long time about um, the importance of moving forward quickly and, and, and as much as quickly as possible to get these people covered and to ensure the people that are below 100% uh, the federal poverty level get that care sooner rather than later. Um, open to some solutions, just want to make sure that those below 100% uh, FPL get taken care of. Uh, the other thing too is uh, notably with what's been going on related to our House Investigative uh, Committee with the Attorney General's office and that position, um, we want to make sure that the work that we've done and the money that we have spent uh, results in some outcomes in terms of improvements in the way that we restore the public trust. We provide good accountability and transparency. Um, and uh, I know Representative D and I both sit on that committee, and we've had some really ardent discussions among the committee. A lot of the stuff that we heard this year was very telling and also very difficult to hear. Uh, but what we hope comes from that is some improvements and some really great legislation that will restore the public's trust in the work that we do. We'll uh, leave it there. Uh, Representative uh, Rebecca Chavez-Hauk, who is the Assistant Minority Whip, thank you so much. Thank you. And Representative Brad D., Majority Leader in the House, thank you. Thank you very much. The uh, 2014 session of the legislature kicks off here at top of the hour. We've been talking with uh, leaders in the Senate, House, and we talked with Governor Herbert. To end the program, I recorded recently uh, several conversations with uh, groups of uh, differing uh, views. So what's on their minds? We'll hear one or two of these now. Now we're talking with uh, Steve Cruz, president of the Utah Foundation. Uh, welcome to the program. It's nice to be here, Tom. So you're not going to be lobbying at the legislature, but uh, your findings be very interesting as we head into the legislative session. According to your, your recent surveys and research, what's, what's on the mind of uh, Utahns? Well, we do surveys during major election years, and we also uh, did a survey this past year 
on quality of life factors. And there are a number of issues that are really on top of mind for Utah. And right now, of course, we've been all seeing it this winter is air quality. And uh, this is one of the things that um, Utahns want some action on from the legislature. And we've had two winters in a row now, or we're in the middle of the second one, um, with really bad air quality. And it's affecting our quality of life. Uh, we do a study uh, every two years measuring how Utahns perceive the quality of life here. And um, it's a pretty new project. It's the second time we've done it um, last fall. And air quality was uh, the one thing that uh, in the open-ended questions people said the state should do something about to most improve their quality of life. Well, are there specifics? Uh, are Utahns mentioning specific measures they would like to see taken to uh, reduce air pollution? We didn't ask that in our survey because the survey was about a whole bunch of different topics on quality of life. Uh, and they also talked about education and a number of other things. But we just released yesterday a report on Utah's air quality problems and present a lot of data and information about what's causing the air quality troubles that we have in the winter and during the summer. And uh, and so some conclusions kind of arise from that data. One of the things we found is that wood smoke is a bigger problem than people had thought. And uh, during the inversion days, it can be uh, 10% or more of our pollution. Um, there are ways to try to deal with that. There are homes that are uh, primarily heated by wood smoke and don't have another option. And uh, it's possible the state could try to buy them out, uh, give them a grant to install a natural gas furnace or something like that. Uh, it would be worth it to the rest of us to be able to breathe cleaner air and spend a little bit of tax money uh, to help those folks uh, clean up what they're emitting into the atmosphere. The biggest solution is really coming through federal action, and it's already programmed. The EPA has uh, draft regulations they're working on to clean up cars more uh, with what they call Tier 3 uh, regulations that will cause uh, much uh, improved catalytic converters to be installed in cars and cleaner fuel, lower salts created by the refineries. And this is expected to reduce the emissions from vehicles by maybe 80%. It's going to be huge, but it's going to take a long time for that to filter in to our environment as people start buying new cars and the older ones get retired. We're talking with Bill Tibbetts, Associate Director of Crossroads Urban Center. Mr. Tibbetts, welcome to the program. Thank you. First, uh, tell us what Crossroads Urban Center is. Crossroads Urban Center is a nonprofit organization that's kind of distinctive. We run one of the busiest food pantries in the state of Utah. We also have a couple advocacy projects that work to uh, on, on policy issues impacting low-income people, the uh, Coalition of Religious Communities, which brings together people from different faith communities to work on issues, and a membership organization for food pantry clients called the anti Action Committees. You do work on uh, issues affecting low-income people, essentially poverty. And uh, I wonder what your thoughts have been. We've had the anniversary of uh, President Johnson's war on poverty. I'm, I'm sure you've you, you probably thought about this, working on these issues today. Yes, well, we're very excited because Governor Herbert announced that he plans to support some form of expansion of the Medicaid program. From our perspective, the decision to expand Medicaid is, is the biggest one uh, facing legislators this session because with the Affordable Care Act, if the state legislature does not expand Medicaid, there will be about 58,000 people under the poverty level who aren't eligible for any, any sort of help paying for health care and, and uh when you look at this population, there are a lot of people who, because they, of their inability to get help with uh, physical or mental health issues, 
they're sort of trapped in poverty. They either they can't work or they can't work enough to to pull themselves out of poverty. And so we're we're very hopeful that the governor has, has announced his support for expanding Medicaid in some way. And I'm Tom Williams. Uh, thanks so much for joining us today. We have broadcast from the state capitol opening day of the 2014 legislature. Please join us tomorrow. We'll be dedicating the entire program to air quality. Thanks so much for listening. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD 1, 89.5 Logan, KUSK HD 1, 88.5 Vernal, KUSL HD 1, 89.3 Richfield, KUST HD 1, 88.7 Moab, and KUSUFM HD 191.5 Logan.